This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Welcome to Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein, Dr. David Tabrett, joining us this mor- this afternoon. Hello, David. What's your topic today? Hi, Jane. Rabbits. Rabbits. Okay. Rabbits, rabbits. And Danny Boss is with us. Hello, Danny. Hi there, Jane. And we'll also be talking to a horse whisperer. That's right. Diamond Porter coming up on Pet Chat today, taking your calls as well from half past 12. Does it sound like rabbits to you? I'm not quite sure. Tomorrow is the first of the month, so rabbits, rabbits. (laughs) Don't you ever remember that old? We used to do that when we were kids. We did, we did. Yeah. I mustn't be that old. You're You're not allowed to punch me in the arm if I say that. Okay. But a lot of people do have rabbits. And did you know that in the UK they're the second most popular pet? Yeah. Well, there's not much room, I suppose. No. They have something small. And that you can fit lots of them in. And, this, well, and you need got, to be able to. That's right. <laughs> but they're really great to toilet train. Yeah, yeah, like yeah they do. They, they adapt pets. really well, really yeah. well to a household. Yeah. And they're becoming much more popular in Australia. And we do see more and more rabbits. And they're, they're fascinating little creatures. But there are some things, well, not always little. Some of them are really quite big, mm. actually. There are some things that people need to be aware of. Now, first of all, we do occasionally get people bring in wild rabbits or wild hares, the the baby ones, because they said, oh, they've been abandoned and there's nobody there, there's no parent there. This is a normal behaviour. What happens is that the parent, the mother goes and feeds during the day, she comes back and nurses the young twice a day at dusk and dawn, and the rest of the day the rabbits are left to fend for themselves. Mm. So if you see little rabbits like that, uh, it doesn't mean that they've been abandoned. Their mother probably is around or off feeding, and uh, you should just leave them. And, of course, wild rabbits in Australia are a pest species, so if they come into care, they can't actually be uh, released back into the wild. Why is mm. that so? Yes. So, um, but if you want a household rabbit, a pet rabbit, of course, then you need to source them from... There are breeders, and um, pet stores occasionally will have them as well. And they do make great pets, but a few things you need to be aware of. Get them de-sexed. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll have a lot more than lot one. A lot more rabbits. That's <laughs> right. So now, when you desex them, why? You know, if you've if you said, oh well, I've only got one rabbit. What does it matter? Um, male rabbits, uh, they're a bit aggressive. Okay, they're a bit too much testosterone, and they can get so aggressive that they're nasty. They bite and they scratch and they attack you. Um, so not quite Python-esque behaviour, but uh, we do need to be careful. And desexing male rabbits, uh, you know, is a recommended procedure because otherwise their aggression can mean that they get excluded from the house. Female rabbits, again, if you've only got one, what's the point? Well, they actually get a high incidence of uterine tumours, so they should be desexed, and it's very, very high risk. If they're over the age of five, um, they're almost guaranteed to get uterine tumours. So. Um, get them desexed at a very young age, talk to your vet, find someone who's comfortable and experienced with the procedure and they'll be able to take care of that problem for you. Now, what are the other things we see? Rabbit problems. Um, oh, first of all, if you keep them, they need some outdoor time as well, but they can also you know, house inside. And as Danny said, you can house uh, toilet train them. Hmm. And they use a litter tray. I've seen this happen They're fantastic with that. Hmm. Yeah. You've got to start the same principles as with you know, cats and kittens and so on, start them when you're young. But if they go outside, make sure that you have them in a mosquito-proof enclosure or bring them in, um, you know, well before mosquitoes are likely to appear. Now, you, we uh, we have these diseases that we use to control wild populations in Australia and the oldest one, of course, is myxomatosis. There's no vaccine available for myxomatosis in Australia. 
because we didn't want the vaccine protection to get out into the wild population. Um, naturally, over time, the rabbit population, so a number of them survived, and so resistance developed anyway. So your rabbit, however, in your backyard may not have that resistance, and if a mosquito bites them and they get myxomatosis, unfortunately, there is no treatment. David, what are the signs of myxomatosis? Well, um, they commonly will get maybe a puffy face. Um, they get swollen eyes and mm. nose, okay? And if you roll them over and have a look at them underneath, they often get swollen genitals as well. And they rapidly deteriorate. They can't eat and drink and they um, will die over a number of days. I mean, it's not a pleasant uh, And is, does it transfer to other rabbits that you might have if they're in the same enclosure? Well, through the um, insect bite. It's through the insect to, bite yeah, only. Yeah, it's got to go through okay. the through the mosquito. Now, the um, other disease that was introduced, um, we're probably going back 10 years now, Khaleesi virus is similarly spread by um, biting insects, but there is a vaccine available, so you should go see your vet and make sure you get, uh, your rabbit gets the vaccine at the appropriate ages, and they get like a, a kitten one, it's called, because they're baby, baby rabbits, and then when they're older, they get annual boosters, and that's very worthwhile. Okay, so cages and vaccinations. Now, the big one for me is we see um, lots of dental disease, okay, and they can get overgrown in sizes there at the front, and uh, they can um, get then in the back of the mouth also overgrown teeth as well. Uh, the dentistry of rabbits is quite complex so and hard to explain over the radio, but their teeth continually grow, and if they're not wearing properly or if they're not occluding properly, they're not rubbing it against the other teeth properly, you get spurs and spikes and makes their mouth very painful. So mm-hmm. you need to make sure that their teeth are well looked after. Get them checked out. Um, not always easy, and uh, you know sometimes they need an anaesthetic to have their teeth looked at properly, particularly if your rabbit is showing signs of not eating or, say, uh, drooling around the mouth because they're not able to swallow properly or it's painful. We have like wood chews that you can give to your rabbit to mm. maybe help control that. Mm. Well, yeah. the thing the thing that happens is that we see that rabbits are fed an interesting diet. You can buy all sorts of diets from treats for rabbits, but um, there are some problems in that the recommendations for rabbits were based on meat rabbits in the United States, so rabbits that were not designed to live that long. And so their diet was actually quite low in fibre. And this is the recommendations that is really the only scientific data that we've got. But uh, in essence, rabbits need approximately 20 to 25% fibre in their diet. And if you look at pellets and things on the market, they range from about 13 to 15, 18%. Not enough fibre. So what you need to do is say um, a small number of pellets, okay, you can buy these commercial pellets, um, a cup of um, chopped up vegetables and squash and um, broccoli and um, bok choy is good. Cabbage. Uh, yeah, we but say lettuce, there are you some can't things do we lettuce stay away too much, from. can you? No, because well, it's too watery. Yeah, that's right. They'll yeah. get diarrhea. That's right. So, the, but the big thing is hay. They've got to have hay. Now, the best hay to get is grass hay, not the loosened hay. Loosened hay contains too much calcium for rabbits, and uh, what happens is it makes their urine go cloudy. So grass hay is best, um, and straw in their bedding. And oftentimes they'll chew on the straw as a substitute for getting that fibre, but in reality they probably just need a good source of grass hay. You can buy it in packs. I've seen it packaged up. Um, I think there's an RSPCA brand is actually 
uh, grass hay, but you can also buy it from produce stores, some biscuits of grass hay. Well, having been a devotee of Bugs Bunny, I have to ask, what about carrots? Well, carrots just fall into the um, the vegetables that we're feeding, but you need a mixture of green and uh, coloured yellow car- um, vegetables like squash and carrots. But uh, don't feed your rabbit just carrots um, because it can cause vitamin A toxicity. We mentioned that a week or two ago, yeah, I think. Yeah. So um, they do need this balanced diet. Now, so if the rabbit starts turning orange, you fed it too much carrots, doesn't it? Yeah, or yeah. less time in the solarium. <laughs> um, now, the best way to get information about this that I've always referred to is there's a website called, that's run by the House Rabbit Society, which is uh, worldwide, and their website is www.rabbit.org. Rabbit.org. Rabbit.org. Sounds good. Fantastic. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and it's 24 past 12. Hi, Jane. Um, now, you mentioned about the horse's birthday. I'd forgotten all about that. I don't know how you could. I know. Any horse that you know would be very upset. I know. Now, just to dispel the thing, they don't all get born tomorrow, of course. <laughs> oh, don't they? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> But what happens is that um, it's a very interesting phenomenon. So they've nominated this date, okay, and that's how then they classify their age for later on when they're like two-year-old, three-year-old for racing. So if your birthday actually was the 1st of August or the 2nd of August, when you come to race, you might be racing against horses that are six months you know, younger than you, if you like, and so you've got a distinct advantage. So they try to get them to fall pregnant and breed so close to this date. But, as it happens, the natural breeding time of horses is actually not August. It's a little bit later in the year. So um, it's a very big industry designed around trying to get these horses pregnant. Um, and they have uh, you know, a very long uh, gestation period, um, about 11 months, so that um, they're naturally, once they actually do have a foal, they can actually get back pregnant very quickly for next year. Yeah. Hmm. And that way you get uh, these nice, big, healthy horses that can run around in two-year-old events and beat the ones that are six months younger. Humans always forcing things to the point, aren't they? Trying to match things up to dates well, and not going with the animal's natural cycle. It happens in <laughs> all all spectrums, Danny. Now, it's yes. not, just, not just the horses. It happens in uh, uh, kids' games and sports and, you know, soccer and... Uh, and even in schools, in classes, mm-hmm. we we take kids who are born in January and we pit them against kids who are born in December and say, you're all in year one, do this exam and thing, you know, later on down the track, we wonder, hang on, that kid didn't do so well. <laughs> Why? Mm. But it's a bit hard. What else would you do? Well, that's right. You'd... So there's always going to be a bit of disparity with, with age and I suppose there's more with children because we try not to plan that the same way <laughs> the horse breeders try and plan that, I imagine. So if you want to win horse races, you have to be born in August. That's the rule. <laughs> Danny, you've got uh, brought in a, a product for us. Well, what I've got is uh, another Fuzz Yard product. We have featured their shampoos and conditioners, but this one I thought was 
particularly handy, and that is it's a paw balm. Now, you could use it on rabbits' paws, if you like, David, and mm-hmm. uh, on cats' paws and, and also on dogs' paws, but we all like a nice foot massage, don't we, and a bit of moisturising on the feet and, and making it feel good and nice, and when you walk back on them, it's like, oh, that was so soothing. Well, why can't we do that for our lovely pets? What do you think, Jane? Oh, I think that sounds fantastic. So it's the same kind of thing. It's actually got she butter and avocado oil and you can rub it in and it's it's safe enough that even if the dog decides to lick it or the rabbit decides to lick it in today's topic um it's okay it's perfectly fine a little bit of avocado oil will go a long way hopefully (laughs) sounds tremendous we have a caller who has rung in carol has rung in hello carol please consult no we haven't got carol there at all (laughs) That's Maybe right, Carol. Now. Is that Carol? Yes. Oh, Carol, good. Okay, hello. You've got a question to put to David Tabret, have you? I have, please. Do ask. How are you, David? Hi, good, thanks, Carol. That's good. A quick question. We have uh, boxer dogs. Oh, I've got to say they're my favourite. I grew they up are. with bo- I grew up with boxer dogs. Yes, they are. They're exceptional. Um, except our pup, she's about eight months old, mm-hmm. likes to chase everything. And the other week got bitten by something, within 10 minutes had welted up to absolutely uh, amazingly. Mm. Yes. Her whole face and head swelled, her neck, her eyes. I took her to the vets, the emergency vet, because it was a Sunday, and they gave her a shot of adrenaline and some antihistamine. Yeah, sounds particularly nasty. You know, boom, within an hour she was a little bit welty, but, you know, she was fine. Then I came home from work again the other day, and here she is, all her lips were, she looked like she had a big shot of Botox. Her whole <laughs> lips were hidden, over swollen out, welted again, not as bad as the first time. Oh, but good thing. said they've seen her chasing bees. Yeah. Um, you've got boxes. Yes. This is a very common problem for some, not, not just boxes, but all, a lot of dogs, but certainly boxes are very prone to this sort of thing. Um, basically, insect bite allergies. Yes. where there's something injected into the body, a protein or rather a part of a protein, we call it a haptine, which um, then triggers um, mast cells in the body which are circulating and in the tissue and they release histamine. Histamine makes blood vessels leaky. Fluid goes out of the blood vessels into the skin and causes the welts or in people we call them hives. Yes, well it was hives but then yes. it went into a welt. All over. First time she was just welted all over and a whole... That's why we rushed it to the vets because I yes. was worried about maybe a windpipe closing over or something because she did swell so much. Absolutely. This time it was just a lips and may, mainly like a hivey look. She didn't really welt up this time. Yes. But I was wondering if there's anything I could purchase and have at home in case, like it happens again, something that I can give her. Is there a human antihistamine? Would that work? Well, most of the time we do end up using antihistamines i don't know that there is any dog ones to be honest oh, so, so they are human we always use a human one okay um the products then become off label as in they're not registered for dogs but generally i tend to use palaramine which is a very common one and that's chlorpheniramine which is the same as the injection that the vet would give at the time and that's um comes in two sizes a two and a four milligram and usually you probably give for a dog that size uh, four milligrams, um, so either two of the two milligram or just one of the four milligram tablets. It, what you need to do is when you see this, and this is for anybody who's listening, if their pet does get an allergic reaction, first of all, you, you can give them the, 
let's say the pleromine straight away, but if they've vomited at all, this is for dogs, if they vomit, you need to get them to the vet straight away because yeah. there's a progression in the symptoms where allergic reactions can get worse and can escalate to what we call anaphylaxis, and yeah. that's where the body goes into shock. And I've only ever seen it once or twice, and that's in 20 years, yeah. but... Um, you know, if you don't treat them in that, you know, get them to the vet, they can die. That's right. And That's so, right about the first time. Yeah, and the mild form, relatively mild, is when you see all of this swelling and so on. If they haven't vomited, then giving them the antihistamine. And it should, because the swelling is from the blood vessels leaking, it won't make the swelling go down straight away, but it'll stop it getting worse. And then, as you've found over an hour or so, it'll start to disappear. Right. Yeah. Thanks for your call, Carol. That's good. Thank you very much. And you're listening to to NURFM's Pet Chat. As we said, it is the horse's birthday tomorrow, the 1st of August, and why don't we talk to a horse whisperer right now? Good morning, or good afternoon, Diamond Porter. Good afternoon, Jane. How are you? I'm fine, and uh, we horse whispering is, of course, uh, has had a lot of fascination for us ever since it first became a concept. Uh, when when did it start this idea, this that, way of looking? It's actually the the term horse whispers a little bit overused and a little bit misused since the movie The Horse Whisperer. Suddenly, everybody's a horse whisperer, but in actual fact, there was an original horse whisperer that lived in County Cork in Ireland back in the late 16th century. His name was Dan Sullivan. And he had just had a, a unique way with horses, and somebody said, oh, he must be whispering to the horse. So that's where the name Horse Whisperer came from. So what does it actually mean for you in practice, uh, if you are well, a horse whisperer? It, it actually means that um, you don't use uh, physical force on horses uh, because the main reason that we've been having so much, so many problems with horses is that horses are prey animals, us human beings are predators. We use physical force. Now, horses don't understand punishment as us humans do. So if we try and break and train horses, it, it won't be successful because horses don't understand punishment as i just said horses understand comfort and discomfort they are a herd animal they have a pecking order in the herd that most horses are good leaders in the herd they have an old experienced mare that is the leader it's not the black stallion as we see in the movies and they communicate through body language they have six or seven recognizable ways that they communicate with one another so all I've done and what people that do what I do have learned to do is talk horse talk. So when I go down into the horse's world, as I call it, down into the paddock, when I get to the gate, I've got to stop using human logic and I've just got to think like a horse. I've just got to communicate with the horse uh, in a language that he understands. That's all I've got to do. Horses are very simple and what us human beings have done over the years in the 6,000 years that we've been riding them. We've gone out of our way to complicate them and now we seem to be going out of our way to uncomplicate them. Well, mm. We should have just left them alone. <laughs> Diamond, uh, oh, hi, it's David Tabret here. Diamond, um, how are you, mate? Good, thanks. Is this something that's innate in a person that they just know or is it something that can be learnt? Can someone oh, be no, taught this? It, it's something that can be learnt and like other subjects, some people are better than it than others. 
you know, mm. and some people are a lot more natural. There's lots of myths surrounded with horses. Uh, one of them is to be good with horses if you've got to be born on a horse's back. Mm. Well, I never started riding until I was 37 years of age because I just wanted to learn it. And then I learned off the best. I learned off, um, actually, uh, my mentor is Buck Brannerman, who um, doubled for Robert Redford in the movie The Horse Whisperer. And to mm -hmm. see this guy around horses, uh, he's just a part of the horse. He's just unbelievable. And there's plenty of people that call themselves horse breakers and trainers. Mm. Well, that's all they are. You can't yeah. train a horse. I can't train a horse. Yeah. But, uh, you can talk his language. Mm. They can't learn that much from me. I'm not that good. <laughs> but what I can learn from horses is just unbelievable. It's limitless. So if I look at it from that way and um, learn a little bit about the horse's brain, different sides of their brain think differently. Is uh, Diamond, is it the fact that, because um, we've always heard of the terms horse break, you know, breaking the horse. I don't, I don't even use that word. Of course. Yeah, well, that does, sounds totally uh, contrary to, to your philosophy. But yeah. does that mean that your training methods, are they suitable for things like horses that are going to go to the track and do work? Or is it just for the yes. backyard yeah. horse? <clears throat> any horse, any horse. But we're so, uh, you know, we've been doing this uh, breaking and training for that long, people, as us human beings are, we have egos and we, we just want to fit into what everybody else is doing. We're frightened to step out of our comfort zone uh, because we're frightened to be criticised. So we just stick with what we know. We just keep on breaking and training horses because it's just what we know. Diamond, it's uh, Danny Boss here. I have a question for you. When you mentioned about going down to the uh, a paddock in the horse's environment. Can you go through what kind of communication process you set up well, as a whisperer? Well, come up to me. Yep. One of the most common things I see is horses uh, or people can't catch their horse. They see the horse sees the owner coming and they think, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? So they run through, the, run away from them. My horses, when they see me, they think, oh, here comes Diamond, what are we going to do? Because there are two F words connected with horses, focus, so I've got to have a picture in my mind of what I'm going to do, and fun. Mm. It's got to be fun for the horse. And my horse says, oh, here comes my owner. Uh, we're going to do something interesting. I, uh, instead of a, a breaking arena, I've got what I call a playpen, and I've got little seesaws in there, and I've got different things in there that the horse gets fun out of doing so uh that's how i introduced the training the training is uh giving them fun to things to do and it's got to be the horse's choice instead of making my horse do something i'll set up a uh, a, a problem and it's got to be the horse's choice to do it not mine i don't want to make him do it it's, he's got to you know think in the left hand side of his brain uh, the right-hand side of his brain is the flight from fear mechanism that's kept them alive for, for 55 million years. When they feel under threat, the right-hand side of their brain clicks and says, quick, run to a safe distance. The left-hand side of their brain is the logical side. In their natural environment, they just 
uh, they use three things. They're born, they go to their mother's milk, they fit into the herd, and they eat grass. We bring them into our crazy world and expect them to be caught, expect them to go to the, uh, the, the track and be raced as thoroughbreds, expect them to be jumped, expect them to do all sorts of things that are not natural to them. Well, yeah. I want my horse to be thinking more and more and more into the left-hand side of his brain. And yeah. what will tell me that he's doing that by body language, when he accepts me in his space, he will lower his head as a sign of submission. He will start to blink his eyes. When he's blinking, he's thinking. And he'll actually lick his lips or yawn. And I'll say, the horse has just digested the idea. <laughs> so this is just all body language. And it's fun. It's, got, it's, it's fun. Diamond, you said earlier that um, these are things that people can learn. And yeah. y you've got a facility where you um, take horses and presumably owners and yeah. you offer them the opportunity yeah. to learn these things. Yeah. I, I, I don't take horses. If people ring, oh, me, okay. up, if, if people ring me up and say, Diamond, I've got a <clears throat> horse and he's got a problem. If I send him to you, will you fix it? The condition is the owner's got to come. Mm, because from what you've not, described yeah, is that's the where... The horse hasn't got the problem yes. with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've got to change the way we think about horses and things will start to change. It's us. I've certainly started to think a bit differently. About just, horses. Just talking to Diamond today. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. Now, you're in Pocolban, aren't you, Diamond? Yeah, tomorrow, uh, all day, or well, pretty well all day, I've got a demonstration on starts about oh, 11.30 and then another one on um, about 1.30. It's on hanging at Hanging Tree Wines, mm -hmm. uh, 294 O'Connor's Road, Pocolban. Well, that sounds like a good place to have a look and see just how that all happens. Yeah, head up the valley and um, and check out Diamond's work with the horses. Yeah, sounds do fantastic. You want my, uh, website. We definitely need your website. Uh, okay, it's fairly long. www. Yep. Diamond Porter's Horse Whispering. Dot com. Dot au. Sounds people good. People can look that up. But if people come tomorrow. Uh, I give a talk on horse psychology and horse behaviour, and people can ask questions. That's great. Thanks so much for joining us today, right, Diamond. Thank you very much. Diamond Porter's Horse Whispering .com .au. Now, Maureen has given us a ring, and I hope Maureen's still here. Hello. Yes, hello. Maureen. That's it, yes. You've got a question you'd like to put to David, have you? Yes, I have. It's uh, from the daughter. She's got a uh, dog. He's uh, over 12 months old and he's got Kelpie in him. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's got a Labrador. He's a very pretty little thing. But he will not leave the clothes on the line. Oh, how a... much fun is that? Oh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> it's a lot of fun for him. <laughs> that is some... Look, he's just looked around his backyard and he said... Um, how can I have fun? Like Diamond was just talking about with the horses, we've got to make their environment fun, and your dog's found the funnest thing to do. So you've got to give him something else that's not uh, that's more fun than jumping at the um, clothes. Because oh. yeah, yeah. Well, his backyard is full of things to play. He even brings out his bedding from his um, kennel, and he'll rip shreds out. I don't know how many beds he's had. Um, oh, he pulls that apart, he uh, gets the pizza boxes and he gets them. They've even given him the empty milk containers. He loves playing with them. <laughs> uh, bones. Oh. Um, yeah. 
sometimes his bedding, when he gets that all pulled apart, the backyard looks like it's been snowing. He's a Kelpie cross Labrador, so there's there's a bit of a herding behaviour there. Yeah, um, and a chasing behaviour, and that's why he's responding also to the movement of the clothesline oh, and jumping at those things because a lot of his other toys don't give him that sort of movement stimulus. Mm. So um, if there's... I'm thinking, if this happened in my backyard, what would I do? I would probably... You don't want to put anything up on the clothesline for him to jump at, like no. a toy, because that would just encourage oh, that behaviour. Yeah. Well, they've got him, they've got to uh, tie him up. Yes. Um, I'm washing those so they yes. can get their clothes done. Yeah. And he's um, chasing around the uh, young granddaughter now. She's nine. Mm-hmm. And he, she's really going to Burko. And he's not bitten like to uh, draw blood. Okay. He jumps up to grab her arms when they're running. Yeah. And that's, I mean, running is the thing. He's responding to movement and that's his natural behaviour. Yeah. Okay, but it's not suitable when you, you know, it might be okay if you're herding sheep and cattle. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. Not so good if you've got to round the kids up in the backyard. Oh, they might be all right. You know where they are then. <laughs> well, that's bring, <laughs> bring them to the back door and heal. Yes. <laughs> so we're, we're seeing a lot of natural behaviours and mm-hmm. we need to um, take them. They're inappropriate though. So yeah. you can't completely suppress them because it will create more problems and anxieties and so on. And then he'll just do displacement by digging up all sorts of things. Need to provide him with alternatives. Um, And also when that behaviour, for instance, if your granddaughter's running, she just has to stop. Stop still. Yeah, we've tried to do that, but unfortunately she's got ADHD and that's just natural. And uh, and they love playing together. Um, Look, uh, what I might do, there's there's a number of things that you've highlighted that... uh, fairly complicated in terms of getting control of that behaviour and I think you're at the cusp of needing to do something very serious about it right now because at 12 months of age we, we're starting to get beyond the point where behaviour therapy is, is going to be more successful. Oh, okay. So if you could just leave your phone number with the switch and I can give you a call back. I've got some other details that um, we can pass on specifically that would address these problems and some people that you can talk to. Oh, okay. Or is that all right? Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah, because, you know, some of these behaviour problems, some are are fairly straightforward, but you've got a number of issues, I think, that need a bit more detail. Yeah, so I was starting to get a little bit worried, mainly the granddaughter. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Maureen, just stand by and we'll get you back to the switch. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. And I think we've got Grant on the line. Hello, Grant. Hello there. You've got a question about horses' ages, is that right? Yeah, I was just wondering what um, the equivalence to a human age to a horse's age. Like, uh, they say that uh, with a dog, yeah. one year of a human's life is equivalent to seven years of a dog's life. Yes, yes, or thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, or thereabouts. So, um, well, uh, most, yeah, most of the horses, I mean, at, um, say, you know, 12 months of age, they're um, adolescents. Um, and at two years of age, they're probably older adolescents, young adults. Um, so they're more mature at, uh, at um, three. And um, from there on, obviously, then, I mean, some of the horses, for instance, in work and exercise, not so much in thoroughbreds, but in, say, working horses, I've seen horses that are out working and, um, you know, they're 10 and 12 years of age. But um, if they're doing a lot of exercise, most horses, people have that affinity with them and think, okay, I'm going to retire him. So they probably have that working span up to that age. But, of course, they can live 
well, I mean, I've heard horses living to 30 yep. and, and a little bit beyond. Um, and certainly any horse over the age of 20 is aged yeah, geriatric. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if that works out at... Um, Work out how much it works out Well, at. yeah, about yeah. one one per... One year of our life is like, th- you know, three and a half years, but it's different at different ages. So yeah. at the younger age, it's faster, and then it, they age slower. Mm. Yeah. Good question, Grant. Yeah. That's tremendous. And Les has rung in as well. Hello, Les. Hi, how are you? Got a question for David? Yes, yes I've got two Maltese terriers, and um, uh, no matter what I do at home, um, when I finish in that spot, they go along and poop in the spot, or if I go into the shed to work, I'll come back in and poop under where I'm working, or um, and it always seems to be where wherever I've um, worked. Oh my goodness, that's um. I don't know if that's endearment or if they're making a statement there, Les. Wow, that's a. Are they both doing it? Yeah, uh, yeah, both doing it. Yeah, I reprimand them, and um, no yeah. matter what happens. Um, um, Nothing happens. Um, I've sent mm. the kennels of the day, you know, after what they've done and everything else, and it's just um, uh, beyond a joke. Yeah. Well, look, um, after the fact, reprimanding them and, and so on, which is our natural reaction because we can draw their attention, doesn't work that well with dogs. Um, they just don't make the connection that well. And, in fact, it may actually be counterproductive because then they've got your attention, and that might be what they're seeking so they want to, they, they know that you're in that spot, that's an important spot to you. They'll go there, make a mess, and then they've got your attention. I would be um, possibly looking at trying to um, get them to follow you, ask them to sit and give them a treat, get them away from where you previously were and get them focused back on you and in a, in a positive way uh, so that they're focusing on the positive and not necessarily then going off behind you and making a mess where you previously were. If you want, you know, they're going to follow you. They're going to be more likely to stay with you and respond positively. And also a little bit of basic obedience helps to establish that hierarchy so that they understand that uh, this is your space and you're the boss, but you're also generous with um, rewards and praise when they do the right thing. And well, if, I, do, I do that. Yep. And if they do the wrong thing, I would completely ignore that in terms of talking to them I would give them the, you know, um, cold shoulder, if you like, for 10 minutes or uh, that that sort of time. Don't uh, let them see you clean it up either or whoever's got to clean it up. Don't let them see that because then they know that they've had an impact as well. That behaviour is getting their your attention and that's what they're seeking. So you need to give it to them in other ways and don't reward them by even, as I said, even punishment or harsh words is a reward for behaviour. Something to work mm. on there, Les. Good luck. Have to do the opposite. <laughs> on 2NURFM, you're listening to Pet Chat, and Nolene joins us now. Hello, Nolene. Hello. This is my first time call. Uh, I've been listening to you about that lady with the Kelpie Cross. Oh, I yes. I had a friend, um, It's actually it's my son-in-law's father, he had a cattle dog that yep. used to do the same, taking the washing off the line, and his cure for that was tying the, the clothes around its neck and leaving them there. And it never did it again after that. <laughs> <laughs> David's laughing. That's a, no, I, look, and that technique is like a saturation technique. Yes. Where it's like, yeah, okay, if you want all the clothes, here they are, but maybe some older ones. Um, 
and gee, that's not so much fun anymore, is it? I was just saying to Danny the the um, off air that the uh, the dogs responding to the movement and maybe um, tying the clothesline, but then as Jane just said, well, if the wind blows the clothes, that's a stimulus as well. It's very hard for dogs that are used to chasing things that move to sit there and ignore things that are moving. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, well, if it, if it worked, there's a, there's yeah, a technique. It's a good dress shirt, mind you. Oh. You've got to wear it out that night. <laughs> so he, he soon fixed the dog. Fair enough. That's, a good, that's a good technique. Excellent. And I've got another question if I can ask you. Yes, sure. I've got a mini uh, foxy, and uh, all through the winter she's drinking a lot of water. How old is she, Nolene? Twelve. Twelve, and um, well, I would suggest that the first thing you do is get a urine sample checked. Um, obviously, in winter, we don't expect dogs to be drinking more than usual because it's less, you know, less energetic, and uh, the temperature means they're not going to pant so much. Oh, but she pants a lot. Yeah, I would definitely get a urine sample and um, get that to your vet. You can go in and ask them; they'll give you a jar. Yeah, I've got a jar here. Yeah, you're gonna have oh, to. We lost what. Uh, our big fellow with uh, kidney um, failure. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, a couple there's, of years ago, he, he had kidney uh, problems. There's a number of diseases that can cause that. It may not be the kidneys, but certainly they're involved. And a urine sample will be the quickest way to start the ball rolling to find out what's going on. It'll be fun trying to get the urine. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your call, Norling. That's Thanks, great. Norling. And uh, I should say that we've had a call from Jennifer, who said, talking about horses' ages, uh, yes. who said that she has a horse who's aged 31 and she's just had one put down at 46. 46? Now, that's an age. That's a pensioner. And uh, wow. the old horse had no teeth, so they no. made stew for her. Oh, and she drank that. Isn't that marvellous? That they and why did they have to have her put down? Because she had a skin complaint. Is that right? 46. Well, there you go. And that brings us to the end of Pet Chat today on 2NURFM. We'll be back next week, next Friday, after the midday news. Thank you, David Tabret. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Danny Boss. Goodbye, Jane. I'm Jane Klein.